Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Today in the studio, we have Claudio Nakano. She is the director of the Utah Office of Multicultural Affairs. She has been in government for the last 10 years, um, and she has a really unique perspective in my mind as how to bring government agencies and nonprofits together. Uh, she really is a strong believer, as I am, that government agencies and nonprofits should work together to solve communities' biggest problems. The difficulty is, how does that work? Because sometimes government agencies and nonprofits don't always uh, work together real effectively, and sometimes it's a misunderstanding about each other's roles. Sometimes there's bad communication, perhaps. But it's one of those things that is a challenge for both groups, but the issues today, I believe facing our nation, facing our communities are too big not to work together. And so she speaks about her experience in that and how she's tried to do that through her role at the um, Office again of Multicultural Affairs. So I think you'll really enjoy listening and hearing more from Claudia, who has had a wealth of experience and has um, just a unique perspective from where she's come from. So enjoy today's show. Today we have Claudia Nakano, the Director of the Multicultural Affairs Office for the Governor of Utah, and we're so thrilled to have you in the studio. Thanks so much for being here, Claudia. Thank you, Rob, and what a great opportunity. Yeah, well, you have so much experience, and I was so excited to get you in the studio just to learn about all the things you've done, and I think for the listener to realize here's, a number one, a real advocate for nonprofits, even though you've worked in the government um, field for a long time. Uh, most of the interviews we've had uh, regard uh, nonprofit leaders, but I thought, you know, we need to get someone who works with the government agencies because, you know, I really believe that there needs to be a good connection between government agencies and nonprofits because I think we get a lot more done and there's a lot greater collective impact when we work together, not separate. So we want to kind of get to that. But before that, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience and in particular the last 10 years in your role. Tell us what you do, um, how it gets you around the state and the different things you get involved with. Well, so first of all, I'm not going to take you too, too far back into my career, but at one time I was involved in the tourism industry for the state and the western United States as well as the ski industry. I have to say, um, love Park City, love Deer Valley, love the canyons, love this area, and, and de very dear to my heart. Um, I worked at Snowbird on the other side of the canyon for a number of years, and so skiing is, is essential to me and, and actually life in Utah, I think. It kind of is. It now, is. Now, there's a rumor you were on Sports Illustrated. Oh. Is that correct? Oh. As a skier. 
Well, it there... wasn't the swimsuit section. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. But it was the uh, it, skiing it, section. <laughs> it was the ski section. I was fully clothed. I had ski clothes on and, and plus. But Way yeah, to go, it was a great though. opportunity. It was a great opportunity great. to, to uh, be able to put on a, a, an outfit. And it was the ski fashion segment for that year. That was well, a long Congratulations. Time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Only 10 years ago or something yeah. like that. <laughs> anyway, okay. Keep going. So tourism, well, right? Well, so, mm-hmm. and, and so continuing on, um, I'm going to bypass some of the the work in my career. I began my work with state government 10 years ago, and uh, so I guess I'm considered a seasoned veteran in, in state government at this point, which is which I'm very proud of. Um, mm-hmm. I've had the honor to be appointed by Governor Huntsman, first of all, in the Department of Community and Culture. I served as the communications director under the leadership of former Salt Lake City Mayor Palmer DePaulis. Um, gained a lot of knowledge from him. He's very active in the community, and as you know, with the homeless population and, and many nonprofit organizations. So um, moving on, um, five years later, Governor Herbert then um, a- appointed me to lead the new program, which was the Office of Multicultural Affairs. And so here I am today, five years later, and having launched the program, I think that um, we are doing really a lot of very nice things in the community, especially for our disadvantaged youth. Yeah, so talked about, so people who maybe have never heard of that division of the of the government, tell us just briefly, what, what are some of the key things you would do? What's your sure. primary target area, sure. your target audience? Sure. What do you do? Well, so five years ago when uh, uh, I was appointed to this position to direct this program, the directive from the governor was to address a multicultural community. And um, each of the different ethnic communities have different issues and concerns. However, there are, we, we agreed with a multicultural commission, there are some commonalities. And one of those most important is education. We address different topics, education, economic development, corrections, juvenile justice, and health disparities. So um, with the the education, as we know, there is a changing demographic here in Utah as well as the nation, and the diverse population is growing very rapidly. Yeah, give some of the stats. like in. Well, I think yeah. it's very obvious in Park City over the years because mm-hmm. having um, worked in the, in the ski industry um, many years ago, um, I don't believe the population in Park City was quite as diverse as it is. As it is. And I know you being in Park City have better statistics than I do, mm-hmm. but... But within the state, one out of four preschoolers currently is of an ethnic background. Wow. We have cities that are already changing to become majority-minority, one of mm-hmm. them being Ogden and one of them being West Valley. Interesting. And okay. soon to be, there will be some others that we'll see changing over as well. So by the year 2043, the U.S. Census has predicted that the nation will be mostly majority-minority. Yeah, so explain that term. I know where you're coming from, but yeah, yeah. it's an interesting way to describe it. The population is growing. If you walk into the classrooms today, you're going to see very uh, a different look in in faces in children, and they are very multicultural. They're biracial. that's the trend of the way our population is going. And it's it's here in Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of educators are also beginning to realize and, and see their classrooms are changing very rapidly. So, um, Rob, what we do we in focusing on education, um, I have a team. We have worked on a Multicultural Youth Leadership Summit. And um, thank you to you, the Martin Luther King Human Rights Commission, which you chair, mm-hmm. and the Multicultural Commission. We... we 
focus on education and the governor's education initiative, the 66 by 2020. Right, and explain that again. That's kind well, of one of his big goals when right, he first was elected right. into office. Even though we've had some significant gain in the percentage this last year from ethnic students graduating, the graduation percentage rate in the state is relatively low. It in is. Compar- okay. Yes. So, um, and, and a lot of... A lot of that in the past years has been attributed to students of ethnic background. And so we uh, have reached out and we started a program four years ago called the Multicultural Youth Leadership Summit. This last year, we hosted 2,000 students at the Southtown. Fantastic, yeah. It, it, was, it's, it was an incredible, incredible conference. Mm-hmm. And to look out at a crowd of 2,000 multicultural faces mostly middle school age, but to to be able to know that you have their a captive audience and to hope to inspire them, mm-hmm. to have them listen to the governor, the lieutenant governor, leadership in government and, and other organizations, and to hopefully be able to know that you're touching on them and letting them know that they have opportunities, they could possibly be those people in the future. And well, I was there. I can just speak. I was there. It was fantastic. It was very inspiring. And I think, yeah, you know, as I grew up, I grew up in the Midwest. And I'm thinking, we didn't have anything like that for any kid, not let alone an emphasis, you know, on kids from a multi-ethnic background. And I think what's so wonderful about that is that it really encouraged them that it, perhaps if they feel like they're on the margins of Utah society, that brought them back in the forefront where the governor was there, as you mentioned, the lieutenant right. governor. So they were really were treated to say, no, you are just as vital. You're the future leaders of the state, of this right. country. It was fabulous. So so congratulations. Yes. It definitely came across from my experience anyway. Thank you. Well, what we're doing now is we're trying to reach out a little bit, move outside of the Wasatch Front. And so this last year, we also collaborated with Ogden Weber Applied Technology. We hosted 300 students from Ogden Weber School District. As I mentioned, Ogden is a majority minority city now. I think that would surprise a lot of people. Right. I, would, I didn't know that. So well, and the lieutenant governor uh, was the keynote speaker as well as the mayor of Ogden. And again, it's really nice to have leadership be able to provide remarks to the students to encourage them and let them know they truly are the leaders of tomorrow. So, um, and, and yesterday we had a great uh, event on the Hill. It's our, our fourth annual Leadership Day at the Capitol, and we did this specifically during the legislative session so that we could introduce civic engagement, leadership in the community to encourage them to know that, you know, at, at some time, hopefully, these students will be passing the bills and making legislation for our state. Right. So they tour the Capitol, they meet with different legislators, and... Um, Thank you, Rob, for the great oh, that was so fun. Masters was, yeah. of Ceremony <laughs> emceeing. And so, so it, it was wonderful to have you involved as well. Again, another very successful event. I felt like, again, I never experienced that as a uh, child growing up. Um, and I thought what was so wonderful was, again, having that connection, like you said, between the state senators, the representatives that were there, and just to get the students to engage in a way that maybe they would never, if they didn't actually walk onto the Capitol steps, mm-hmm. to realize they have a voice, they can get involved. And yeah, maybe right. they could be the next legislator, the next right. senator, or at the very least, they can have their voice be heard. Right. And I thought that was so well done. Right. So speaking of your work then, as you work with these multi-ethnic uh, communities around Utah, which is growing and, and it's uh, becoming more diverse all the time, talk about how do you intentionally branch into 
areas where you work side by side with nonprofits? Because I know you do a lot of that. And obviously the Christian Center being one of those organizations, but I know you do a lot in Salt Lake. Talk about that process from your end on the government side. What do you look for? Um, what have maybe been some success stories when you've worked with nonprofits? Talk about that a little bit. So as people that are listening that maybe are part of a nonprofit can understand more where you're coming from, from the government side. Well, so one of the one of um, our missions, a, a vision, is to be able to form a collaboration with many different organizations, whether they be state agencies or nonprofit organizations. Um, most of all, because we all have common goals, and a lot of those goals do involve our youth, and whether it be education or civic engagement, leadership in the community. But we want our youth to grow and become the leaders of tomorrow. I mean. Someone has to lead the state of Utah, and it's yeah. obviously the next generation. So um, in working with the nonprofits, we look for those organizations that have common vision, have a common vision and a common mission as we do. Um, those are often introduced to us by our membership on our Multicultural Commission as well as the Martin Luther King Human Rights Commission. We have various people and leadership from the ethnic community who bring those opportunities to us. And um, those collaborations usually are very successful um, and, and in the support of our commission members for my office is very much appreciated. But those introductions of those collaborations are very necessary and very meaningful. Excellent. And so when this has happened in a good case scenario, mm-hmm. um, where do you see nonprofits kind of um, having a unique role or a niche that government agency can never do or should never do because of their restrictions, perhaps? Where do you see those kind of coming together, but they are distinct? So where does the government kind of end, if you will, maybe? And where does a nonprofit begin? Well, um, I'm going to, I, I can focus on one area uh, in particular, and that would be the juvenile justice system. Great one, yeah. We address the, the school-to-prison pipeline right now. That's extremely mm-hmm. important. Um, but the juvenile justice system, um, we have uh, organizations. I sit on the Salt Lake Metro Gang Community Advisory Group and various other groups in different cities that are dealing with different uh, st- students, Uh, youth, I should say, that um, aren't quite stellar students and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. we have doubts that they're going to to make it through uh, high school, let alone going on to getting a certificate of trade or going on to higher education. But um, there are always those students and, and the youth that are caught up in activities that lead them away from the right direction in life. And so um, law enforcement and state agencies and organizations have been getting together and collaborating on um, how do we address those issues, the school to pipeline, gang activity, uh, gang reduction, uh, racial profiling. So in answer to your question with a state agency, it's often difficult for um, us and my, my division especially to advocate when legal matters are involved. Okay. We have to step some restrictions back sometimes, there. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I'd love to go out and be a, a lead speaker in terms of maybe if there's something that happens in the ethnic community, mm-hmm. but that isn't always possible when it is a legal matter. And I've been called upon by the ethnic community before to speak on, on their behalf. On behalf of their community? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to decline and... Um, 
from my role because of my role as a state government employee, it's difficult for me to get involved in something that would be a legal matter. So right. that's where a nonprofit would come in yeah, okay. and mm-hmm. be able to step be that bridge. Up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so exactly, Rob, what we're doing is we're building those relationships and b- building those bridges mm-hmm. between state agencies, nonprofit organizations, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And those collaborations are going to be very meaningful in helping not just our youth, but leadership in the community. And along those lines, um, when can nonprofits actually be a hindrance to that kind of commonality and bringing you know, the, the groups together to solve an issue? When have you seen a nonprofit maybe throw barriers up that you would like to work with them, but it's impossible for whatever reason? Have you ever run into that where it's been uh, difficult and you've tried and the nonprofit just has thrown barrier after barrier? Um, you know, I, this is this, this is a difficult question to answer, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I will I will say that one of the things that comes to mind right off is that everyone takes pride in what they do. Every organization, every director, every staff person, and that's why they do what they do in in reaching out to a a community, uh, a, a part of our population in the state. Um, but in sometimes I believe that people lose sight of maybe what their mission is and they and this is not a detriment but they have a lot of pride in what they do they feel that their mission is is moving forward and so they really take ownership on it sometimes when you take ownership on something and it's a little too deep you don't let others become involved and I think sometimes that can be a detriment when you don't open it up to others who quite frankly could be a lot of help so if they hold a little too tightly and, a little and bit. don't yeah invite no that's important because I touch, think this is our project right right yeah and and I can understand that sometimes mm-hmm. I really can and it depends on the project the situation mm-hmm. the the segment of the population that they're assisting but um, from my point of view I really believe that there are a lot of bridges to build and a mm-hmm. lot of relationships and partners partnerships to mm-hmm. strengthen mm-hmm. and, and uh, so that's what I hope that that everyone will look at and, and try to do. Well, that's good to know because I think that is a challenge. And I think the for nonprofits, typically the concern and fears are, I may lose my autonomy or they, a government agency may ask me to do things that are outside of our purview, our mission, and therefore we're going to go in a different direction. We really don't want to. So I do think there, but you know, so some people react to that and say, well, I'm not really going to work with a state agency because it's too much work. Or again, I may lose my autonomy. So I think the beauty of when it does work is when you open up enough to say, okay, here's the common goal. We want to address why so many uh, students are going to this jail pipeline, if you will, right? I mean, that continues. Right. There's some patterns that you're discovering in your work, I know. So what are some things nonprofits can do alongside government agencies to prevent that ahead of time right. or to deal with it once it's happened, how to deal with the families and the aftermath, how to prevent you know brothers and sisters that are younger watching the older brother or sister going through that. You know, All those things were, to me, a nonprofit could come in and help with that process hand-in-hand hand with government agencies. Right. In fact, one thing I thought you could speak to a little bit, we've had a, um, a really interesting and fascinating uh, conversation now, what has been four different times, with key law enforcement from across the state yes. and the Martin Luther King Human Rights Commission. Yes. And, uh, and then the Village Initiative, which is a nonprofit, as I understand. And, of course, a lot of people at the table at those conversations are nonprofit leaders my, like myself and others. 
So talk about that. Why do you think that's been successful so far? Now, granted, it's just been discussions mm-hmm. and it's been conversations. There's not been a lot of necessarily to-do lists mm-hmm. afterwards, but it has created a great dialogue. I think it's been really healthy, particularly when you see around the country, uh, lack of dialogue and a lot of animosity between law enforcement and the public and vice versa, particularly when it comes to multi-ethnic communities. Why has this been so successful and what do you think we should do as we move forward? Well, I, I first of all would like to commend yourself and the Martin Luther King Human Rights Commission members for stepping forward and uh, looking into beginning these conversations also with Commissioner uh, Keith Squires of the Department of Public Safety and Highway mm-hmm. Patrol. Um, I think what has happened here, and a lot of people sometimes shy away from state agencies because they feel like it's state government, it's a little too powerful, they may overshadow us. Um, um, I, I, and I don't believe that because I think that, as you know, and working with nonprofits from my office, I think that if you come to the table and you talk and you're there at an equal level, which I, I truly truly believe everyone should be at, then I think it works. And that's what you call a partnership and collaboration, a successful collaboration. But with these law enforcement uh, discussions, I encourage those to move forward because of the various feelings in the community and not just the community, but within law enforcement. And quite frankly, I have had various jurisdictions call me and ask me, what can we do to build the strength or strengthen the relationships with our officers and with the members of the ethnic community? Well, that's not always easy for me to answer because every ethnicity is very different. And you have people that are generations removed from their cultural background, but you also have people that are here that are refugees. And so you you not only have different ethnicities, but the refugees are a different community entirely. Mm -hmm. That's right. They fled their countries because they didn't trust government or law enforcement. Exactly. They're running away from the government. Absolutely. So they come here. They don't know if an officer can be trusted. Um, Those are the things exactly that should be discussed at the table. And Rob, as you know, the last meeting we had... We had a number of people sitting around the table. I believe we had a representation of about eight chiefs of police. It was impressive how many people showed up, yeah. It was incredible. The FBI was there. The FBI was there. Mm -hmm. We had various people from organizations from Mm -hmm. our our Martin Luther King Commission who represent Mm -hmm. various organizations, higher education. Weber State, correct. Weber State, University of Utah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so... Those discussions are extremely important to continue, and I believe this group is going to move forward and do some really good things in building bridges between law enforcement and the ethnic community. Agreed. So in your experience the last 10 years, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing Utah right now? As it pertains to maybe where nonprofits and government agencies could work together, what are those issues? Is it the the pipeline to jail? Is it uh, education issues? Is it um, poverty, uh, refugee issues? I mean, there may be all of those, but what, what do you think are the top five? <laughs> I think five? it's all of the above, <laughs> although I, I think it is all of the above, and I think all of those are major uh, concerns of not just state agencies, but of the citizens of Utah. Because I know a lot of people, uh, the volunteer program is is uh, very, very healthy. You, Sharon, and the Commission on Volunteers, Utah is uh, number one. In, it's the volunteer state. That is remarkable, isn't it? it? It's is been number one for a long time. For a long time, and they have a strong program. Um, but I do believe that the con- the 
discussions that will continue will just make things better for the state. And so I encourage those discussions and those groups to continue to get together. Um, will the homeless situation ever be resolved? I'm not sure that you'll ever find that there will be no homeless people on the street, but that is a huge problem, and there are very um, strong leaders and, and organizations that are really trying to work on that. So I know that that will continue, and I know that that will continue to succeed. Uh, but um, also, you know, with our education, I think we need to continue to talk about the growing pop population, the change in our diverse population, as well as as getting our students to graduate. Mm -hmm. You know, taking up that taking future life serious, right? Mm -hmm. With an education, as the governor said to the students yesterday, with an education, your opportunities are limitless. Right. You know, you can do anything you want if you have an education. Mm -hmm. So, well said. yeah, keep those doors, uh, you know, those opportunities um, available for yourself. Um, but I, I do believe that if those conversations continue, I do believe the issues and concerns can be can be approached and um I, and i do believe that is happening excellent so one more personal question we'll kind of yes. close with yes. is uh, in your time in government you've been there for 10 years in your role um what has been the most rewarding aspect of doing uh, the various tasks that you've done obviously you've jumped around and, and done a lot of different things and been very successful at right. those what right. has been some of the most rewarding aspects of working with the state agency well, I've got a long list of those, you know, and, and I've had uh, success in working with the media and with different agencies and, and uh, you know, doing various press conferences and working with the governor and lieutenant governor's office, the attorney general. I've had great opportunities in the last 10 years, but I do have to say the most rewarding moment for me was to look out at 2,000 multicultural faces last year at the Multicultural Youth Leadership Summit and know that there were students that day that would be inspired and motivated to look at opportunities at school, in their community, and to try to aspire to do better in, in school and, and look to higher education. But looking out at those faces was very moving for me. So I would have to say that was the most rewarding moment for me. Yeah, well, being there, I could see why. I mean, the 2,000 students that right. full of energy and their whole future is in front of them. Right. And being inspired, like you said, to stay engaged, right. stay in school, go to right. college, et cetera. Right. Uh, well, well done. You had the vision for it and you've built it and grown it. And right. over 2,000, that's incredible. Well, and as you have 2,000 students and, and, and we're, we're, having, we're getting them energized with our motivational speakers and we're getting them to shout back, I'm Utah, which is our hashtag. Right, right, exactly. Yes, I'm that Utah. That was so fun. And, and, and that, was, that was the moment for me. That really hit you. Yes, yeah, like, yes. This is significant. Yes. That's fabulous. Well, you have a wonderful heart and you do get such good work. And thank you again for taking time to tell us a little bit about your story. And uh, I wish people could get to know more of you uh, and more about you. But um, Claudia Conogan, Director of the Utah Office of Multicultural Affairs. And you can go online and kind of check out a little bit more about what your office does. Please. You know, the two different things you mentioned are listed on your website, which is great. You can learn more about it. But again, Claudia, thank you so much for your time. Thank it's you, been wonderful. Rob. Thank you.